And my agent calls and says, hey, so there's a show Netflix is talking about doing. They want you to host called The Floor is Lava. And before he said anything else, I was like, yes, I'm in. Because A, I know it's going to be insane because I played Floor is Lava as a kid. We have no idea when we're shooting The Floor is Lava, A, that it's going to work. Or B, that it will be the biggest thing I've ever done. And then the show comes out and does 38 million viewers in the first month. You know, there are some people that you are just rooting for because they have done things the right way. And Rutledge Wood is one of those people. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Paula Ferris Show. I'm your host, Paula Ferris. And whether you're watching on YouTube or you are listening, we are talking about it today. And I dare you. I dare you not to smile during this entire conversation. Rutledge is the host of that very popular Netflix smash hit called The Floor is Lava. I'm sure that you binged it at some point during the pandemic or after the pandemic. And that's how I first learned about Rut. But then I learned that he does so much more. And what's really cool about his story, he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he has remembered every single person along the way that is helped him in his journey. And he says his big break came from Craigslist of all places. But before we dive into this conversation, a reminder that I am giving away three $100 gift cards to Target. And all you have to do is subscribe to The Paula Ferris Show. Literally, that's it. If you want to be eligible, go to the show notes. I'm going to pick three winners by December 1st. So make sure you have entered to win. All right, you guys ready to jump into this conversation? And by the way, if you have a kid that loves Hot Wheels, this could legit be him or her in the future. Without further ado, here's our new friend, Rutledge Wood, talking about why he loves his minivan, being a girl dad, and as usual, he is answering your questions. Rutledge, Hi. Rutledge Wood, welcome. Oh, this is so exciting. Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, I'm so excited to get to know you a little bit more. So I know you, obviously, through my screen because my kids uh, became obsessed with one of the shows that you host. You host many shows. It's called The Floor is Lava. Yes. But I also know you through a mutual friend, Terry Flanagan, a dear friend oh, of mine. Oh, the sweetest. She is so sweet. And I can't wait for people to get to know you a little bit more. I mean, we see you all over. Um, you have hosted so many shows. The Floor is Lava, Hyperdrive, American Barbecue Showdown on Netflix. You are a familiar face in the NBC family with the Olympics, uh, NASCAR, IndyCar, Kentucky Derby. And then you just had this really cool show debut in May called Hot Wheels Ultimate Challenge. There's a theme here. Everything's kind of car related. There's a there's a ton of it. Plus, I forgot, you know, I did used to do the show called Top Gear. Yes. That was on the History Channel. And, and a lot of people have seen me from that. So it's funny. For me, I'm one of those people that think uh, all of these different connections that we have made and have... Mm-hmm have really helped me do so many different things, but I always wanted to be a person that could go anywhere and do anything. So I've been very intentional about the stuff that I've done and whether that was, you know, Southern in Hungary was this cooking Mm -hmm. show I did with my friend Damaris Phillips that our friend Guy Fietti produced. I was trying to make sure people knew that there was no task that I couldn't show up for and be curious and ask questions. Right. That's great. So that's, that's been a huge part of it, but it's turned out it's been really wild. I can't believe when I think about it, you know, I got my start from a Craigslist ad. Stop it. From Craigslist? I went to school. (laughs) Wait, I I feel like we got to back up here because a lot of people don't even know what Craigslist is. Which is a a shame. (laughs) 
Craigslist, in a nutshell, was a website that when it came out was the most antiquated and old website the day it was brand new. Oh, my God. It was almost like a directory, right? Mm -hmm. And you could find through there, you could find houses, cars, bicycles, jobs. Dates. Roommates. Dates. It was a, (laughs) oh, gosh, misconnections. Wow. Misconnections used to be this great thing you could just read where Uh it would be like, I was the person at Starbucks that ordered the blonde latte. (laughs) You you <laughs> laughed. And that would be all it was, right? Yeah. Like Craigslist, it yeah. had so many things that don't make any sense. It was a treasure. But it was a treasure. It really sure. was. Yeah. I went to college at the University of Georgia for marketing. And I was pretty determined that I had two paths. I said, I'm going to go after TV and I'm going to try to make that work. Because yes. I think it's the best way I can make people smile. It's the most people I could make laugh at once. Mm-hmm. Or if that doesn't work. Then I'm going to go back to school and I'll get my teaching certificate and I'll go be a, a teacher. And I think the right thing happened for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I love teachers. Uh, I have a ton of respect for them. It's certainly, as you know, it's a hard time to be a teacher. It, is. it was tough before COVID. Now it's an impossibility. Yes. It is God's work. So, okay, so you got your break on Craigslist. Before we even get to that, though, you describe yourself as, you know, a, a car geek. You're a car enthusiast. You love cars. Was that always the case? Like, when did this and how did this love of cars begin? It really started when I was a kid. My dad grew up on Route 66, uh, just outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, in a little town called Moriarty. And his dad had a a little strip, and he was a he was a hustler. Grandpa Bill was was a smart guy. He had a building with three different doors, so it had three different numbers, but it they all opened to the same room. So he had like a John Deere tractor dealer, he had a International Harvester, and then he had a Napa Auto Parts. But they were literally the same building. It was like Just... a three door or three car garage essentially, like a Yeah, think of it like it that like a... because I think back in the day you weren't supposed to have all of these things in one spot, okay. but they just were the same place. Okay. So uh, they had a wrecker, too, and they would go out and get people's cars and work on them. And it was called Valley Motors. And so my dad, at like 10, 11, 12 years old, is buying and selling cars from people that come in there, clean them up and, and selling them. So he had always like believed in the hustle, worked his butt off out there. So he got me into cars because it was something that we could look at and talk about and have this kind of commonality in it. But then my love for it really exceeded his. It's just always like that and truly playing with Hot Wheels when I was a kid. <laughs> So it really, for me, all of that started when I was a kid, but I didn't grow up watching any racing. We didn't have cable, which is funny because I feel like my pop culture references were real strong for someone that didn't have cable (laughs) and they continue to be. But I knew that there was a race outside of Birmingham called Talladega a couple times a year. I knew what the Daytona 500 was. I knew what the Indy 500 was. So I, racing was kind of always around it. And then my grandparents got me a go-kart when I was like nine or ten and i think the rest is kind of history from there you grew up you know appreciating the hustle and the grind and hard work you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth i mean you really had to work your way to get to where you are today yeah and my parents like my parents made the newspaper in 1980 the birmingham news it was like a young family buys dilapidated house to be in better school district. Like this was unheard of at the time, what they were doing. So where was this? This was, um, they bought a house that was like two streets into Mountain Brook, which was this, and continues to be this incredibly affluent part of Birmingham. And when I was in elementary school, it was like the seventh wealthiest 
um, city in America because all of the old steel mill money was sort of just getting passed down. But we look like the Clampets. Like, I certainly didn't feel like everybody mm. we were around. And then we moved to, to Atlanta when I was 15. So I kind of was lucky to sort of get this fresh start here in Peachtree City where, I, uh, where we still live. But it's, it was funny having that kind of time to be there and to see my parents work on this old house every weekend. I really think that that's where not only my love of old stuff and antiques really came from, but that kind of hard work and hustle. So I knew that... If I was going to make it to be on TV, I knew it wasn't like there's not a direct path, right? Yeah. Seacrest, Ryan Seacrest is kind of the only person, notably from Atlanta, who had kind of found his way and jumped up in these different kind of abilities. But there's not a lot of those in Atlanta. So I knew once I finished school, I was going to have to really like crank it up. Yeah, I mean, marketing. So it was either going to be a path to TV or you were going to be a teacher. Those are two kind of totally different paths. So, Absolutely. so how did this big break happen for you? And you, yes, you have had quite a career. Like I mentioned earlier, hosting so many shows on Netflix and NBC. And like, I don't think you've reached the pinnacle of it. Um, but what was that first break and there may have been many many breaks but when you think yeah. about your big break what was it and who helped get you there there have been waves and there are are like flows and channels almost but the one thing that always comes back is the good people that I've met in my mm. life that believe in me consistently believe in me you know and it it started really like my wife was the first one who was like no you can do this I believe in you and we knew that we wanted to have kids and we wanted to stay near our parents. I knew that I didn't want to move to California and try to become an actor and try to make my way on TV that side because I was like, I can't, I can't wait tables in between sure. like things. And I can't, she was the breadwinner. I couldn't like pull her away from everything. So I'm on Craigslist every day and I'd had sort of a series of like eight month jobs. I worked for Hertz Rent-A-Car doing these like local rentals. I did that for eight months. And then one day I was like, hey, uh, I can't be here anymore. This is crushing my soul and I gotta go. <laughs> so uh, they were like, oh, you're putting in your two weeks? I was like, no, I was just going to get my keys. Yeah, I was going to go. I'm gone. So two days later, I show up at this radio station in Noonan, Georgia, uh -huh. where a guy named Uncle Rich is doing this radio show. Uh, Rachel's dad had done like a remote for his business and I, this guy had been there. So I said, Hey, can I watch you do your radio show? And he's like, yeah, come by. So I was there at like five 30 in the morning. And then the next day I came again and I just kept showing up every day and I would watch him. And so they noticed that I would like take out the trash cause no one was really doing anything. And they're like, do you want a job? I was like, sure. So I start working there and then Another two weeks later, they're like, do you want a full-time job? And I'm already there like 80 hours a week uh -huh. getting paid for like 10 or something. So it was just, it was like one hustle after another, right? And you were, you said you were like newly married at the time, right? Yes. Okay. We'd, been, we'd been married like a, a year, year and a half probably. Okay. So I met this incredible woman named Yvonne Monet, who was a DJ in Atlanta. And she had um, gone to Houston and, and done really well. And so she was coming back and opening up. It was going to be a club and a restaurant in downtown Noonan. And, right. and she really taught me how to like work a microphone and a crowd together. She knew I loved karaoke. So I was hosting karaoke there every week. We just had so <laughs> oh, much gosh. fun. So I'm on Craigslist every day and I find this job link. And it basically was a, a national motorsports marketing position, but it didn't say what the motorsport was. didn't say exactly what it was other than you needed to be an on-site marketing rep and an MC. Well, because 
of how Yvonne taught me how to really like work the crowd and what was going on there. I knew I could do that part. And then on the marketing side, like, yeah, I got that. So turns out it was for the speed channel. And three weeks later, I'm at the Daytona 500 and I hit the ground running. Yeah. It's so crazy because I have no idea what any of this stuff is. Right. Uh And loving cars, it was really easy to love the sport. I just jumped in with both feet. That year, this guy named Chris Long came to Speed Channel and he saw me and Chris saw that in between shows, people would stay at the stage and like hang around with me and I was making up games and just trying to have a good time with people. I'm not saying I forced his hand, but Chris always believed in me and I <laughs> You were I persistent. Quit. You were persistent. Yeah. 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 I, I quit that job. Now, keep in mind that job I was maybe making... I think it was somewhere between $23,000 and $27,000 that year. I have to be at the racetrack Friday through Sunday, but I would also have to go do these other marketing events. So I was even two days before. So I'm hardly home. And I I put in this really nice letter of resignation. And Chris called me on speakerphone. And he's like, what's it going to cost to get you back out here? Because keep in mind, this job, I'm like bringing everyone out to the stage. So I'm definitely like, like let's get ready because here comes Steve Burns. Yes. And here's you're the warm up guy. Junior. You're the yes, warm up guy. I'm like guy. the yep. t-shirt tosser, right? <laughs> Having a great time. But he calls me on speaker and it's like, what's it going to cost to get you back out here? And I was like, yeah, man, I got to tell you, it's not about the money. And you hear this like, what do you mean it's not about the money? It's always about the money. And I just, I remember it so clearly because I put in this letter of resignation and no one says anything for like three weeks. Uh-huh. So I'm also sitting there going, man, not only did I walk away from this opportunity, but I made him mad. Like no one said a word. No one in my group said a single word. And then this guy calls me and I said, yeah, it's really not about the money. You know, I want to get on TV for you guys. It's like, but it's not worth my marriage and it's not worth being gone this much to not move up. I said, I want you to know, I'm going to get on TV for somebody. I think it'd be awesome if it's you, but if it's not you, that's okay. Love the confidence, by the way. Absolutely. Right. You got to. And he said, all right, well, give me a couple days. Let me, let me come up with something. He's like, okay. So he calls me back and says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a shot on camera. Uh, But if you stink, you got to work for me for the rest of the year. And I was like, okay, done. Yeah. That's all you needed. That's all you needed was a shot. That was all I needed. And so all of these people at Speed Channel suddenly start really pulling for me. Like Frank and Emma Wilson, uh, TP, uh, Hunter Nichols starts running the network. Well, Chris calls me in. And I had this weird like mohawk at the time. And I thought Chris was calling me in to to talk to me about getting a haircut. Wait a second. Were you you on air with the mohawk? Yes. Oh, wow. And it was like I was non-committal. It's like I had a faux hawk, but it had real mohawk height, but I still had hair on the (laughs) side. Like, I just needed to do one or the other. But I was, again, I was just trying to find my way in this sport that is so closely knit. And people, I was already an outsider, and I loved the sport, and it it was working. But I thought I was going to have a conversation about that. And then turns out he's like, hey, um, he had this piece of paper. He's like, this is what I'm going to pay you next year. You're not going to do this job anymore. You're just going to be on camera for me and i was like oh boy yeah yeah this is exciting and that was really like the first huge movement so in 2007 chris long gave me this this big break that really sent into motion all of these other things happening so that was like the first wave cannonball into the pool that's yeah. the first wave okay and it was wild because chris also left like a year a year and a half later went to direct tv now he's running a movie studio and it's still one of those people that i very much 
look up to almost every time I land in LA to go do a new project. He's Uh the first person that I text and say, hey man, I just want you to know this is what I'm doing. I wouldn't be here without you. It's really special when you can have people like that. But the other thing that happened in that same window of time is Toyota came into the sport. Being this kind of deeply rooted Southern sport and the big three were there, right? Dodge, Ford, and Chevy. Toyota comes in and I've always been a big Toyota guy, right? Because you could afford to insure them, work on them, drive Mm -hmm. them. Like I've always been a Toyota guy. So they come into the sport and there's a guy named Ed Laukas that was running marketing for them at the time. They had this thing where they were letting fans like come up with the sponsors and like make their own paint schemes and stuff for the car. And Ed said to Speed, this guy makes everything not feel like a commercial. We want him with all of our stuff. Everything you do, put so him on. So this is the Toyota contact telling yes. them we want we want the guy with the mohawk. Right? Yep. Or and whatever. I sort of started to level the hair out <laughs> okay. a touch at that point, right? Okay. Now, keep in mind, this is coming from like, at our wedding day, I had frosted tips. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's been gradually better, but okay. it was never great. Yes. So, okay. you know, because of that and that belief, not only did that help me the whole time that I was with Fox until 2015, but when I moved to NBC, you know, that support from Toyota grew not only with with Ed, but, but yes. people like Les Unger, Paul Doshel and now Jack Hollis, who's uh, the the greatest probably mentor and friend that I have um, in that arena, in that world, and just one of the greatest people I know, you know, their support goes with me everywhere. Mm. Because that's one of those things, you know, I didn't understand how a, a corporate entity like that, believing in me as a person and helping me show how their brand works and lives could play such a vital role, but it absolutely does, right? How, yeah, and it's so, it's, a lot of people think, oh, it's just, you know, right place, right time. It's not really like what to do. It's who you know. For you, it was who you knew. It was being in the right place. But it was also putting in the hard work uh, and the hustle and showing them and telling them what you wanted. What advice do you have for someone out there that's looking for their big break and can't seem to really cash in on it, can't seem to find it? For me, it was... The right place and the right time was every single day that I showed up to work hard. That I was at Speed Channel, every person that I met along the way knew that I was there genuinely and I was going to work hard. And so I would help the audio guys run a cable or I would ask the, the, the people on stage, hey, does this, if we're set up here, is this going to mess up your shot? So suddenly you build trust in all of these people. So along the way, all of That's those good. people wanted me to succeed and excel. There there was an amazing guy named Steve Burns that was at Speed Channel when I started. And every day I would go in early and I would ask Steve questions. And uh, we lost Steve to cancer a handful of years ago, but Steve made a really great point. He said, no one else is, is you. So no one can mm-hmm. do what you do and no one's going to bring the same energy and take. So you have to be confident in that and your abilities. He said, but you also have to do the work. So one of those things that's funny, and I think you know because we got to meet and, and I got to see you at a track, my job is not to look like I've paid attention. My job is to tell people what it's like and give them the feeling and the purpose of why you should come to a race and why you should pull for this person. But turns out I've been paying attention to everything the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I can also give you some pretty accurate it's descriptions good. of the stuff that's going on. But so sometimes good. I think people get caught in that sort of narrow scope. And you saw it too. There's a million people that would love 
to have been on Good Morning America. And and there's a ton of them that have the talent, but they weren't you. And they weren't taking your approach to every single day. And I think at the core of it, you try to combine what it is that you want to do, but know that nothing's going to come to you. So you yeah. have to go after all of it. And I've learned a lot of lessons, like, you know, the, the notion that I've put really well-thought emails out to people that I thought would be great to ask questions to. And all I got was, so what's your question? And mm. I go, okay, that's not an attack on me or them. I need to think about if I was this person, how do I get this information down smaller? And so I said, okay, how did you pick this as a path or why did you choose this Good. pivot? I, I love what you just said. And then we're going to try to move into Flora's Lava and then some lightning questions. But you said uh, you're very relational, I can tell. Like you've kept in touch. You remember people's names. They feel seen oh, yeah. and heard. But you said they learned to trust you. And I think that's a big deal as a leader, you know, trying to establish yourself. But if you can earn people's trust by respecting them, no matter if they're the janitor or if they're the CEO, I think that goes a long, long way. Okay, so real quick, uh, like 10 minutes ago, you said uh, karaoke is your jam. Just tell me what your go-to karaoke song. Miss Jackson without using the screen at all. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Oh, oh yep. okay. I love it. Okay. Um, yeah, real flex. A lot of people, if they didn't already know you, uh, you became a familiar face during COVID because of that popular show on Netflix, The Floor is Lava. That's really my first real foray with Rutledge. And tell me, how did that big break happen? So you've kind of been like entrenched yourself in the world of sports, but now you're opening yourself up to as a as a show host, you know, on a yes. popular streaming network. So how did The well, Floor is Lava happen? Here's what's weird. It happened because of what happened at speed, all of these things stack together. John Schneider from the Dukes of Hazard shows up to Atlanta Motor Speedway. I think the same weekend that I met my dear friend Chuck Flanagan, who becomes one of my best friends uh, in life, and 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 his wife Terry is amazing. The whole time, I only refer to him as Bo Duke. I never call him John. <laughs> and a race fan loads this onto YouTube illegally. A producer, a guy named John Hessling, is sitting in the UK watching everybody who's been on TV for cars in like the last 10 years and says, this guy's funny. Oh, I end up meeting him so and a guy bad. named Scott Messick, and they choose me to be on Top Gear. At Top Gear, one of our BBC executives is this great guy named Nat Gruy. So we do this show for seven years, 72 episodes. We go all over the world. It was at History Channel. It, it was a great time. It only... Didn't keep going because the original guys that started got fired. They got in trouble. BBC got lost. It didn't have anything to do with us. So fast forward, I meet with these producers. I'm doing the Hot Rod Power Tour with Chuck one year. And I stopped to have a call. And this call is about a TV show called Hyperdrive. And it sounds like all of the things I would do with my Hot Wheels when I was a kid, but in my imagination. And... I told them, if anyone ever gives you enough money to do this, I'd love to be a part of it. I just, I don't think anyone's going to give you enough money. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you hear ideas and then you see it and you're like, wow, that was really close, guys. <laughs> Almost nailed it. But it turns out it goes to, to Netflix and they pick up the show and Nat Gruy, who had been our executive at the BBC, is at Netflix. And he's Stop. like, this guy's the guy home run. So I was like one of the first ones that they said, yes, you need to be a part of this. And also I'm like, oh my God, Netflix. Well, because at this same time, I've moved to NBC 
because Jeff Binky, who is uh, one of the greatest humans I've ever met, Jeff met me when I was at Speed Channel working with my dear friend Kyle Petty. Kyle Petty, again, like Kyle Petty once told Speed Channel, if you don't bring Rhett back, I'm not coming back. And they thought he was kidding. And he's like, no, for real, if he's not here next year, I'm not coming back. So They're like, does Rutledge have like pictures on people? Like how do people- No, I think that's what's so crazy <laughs> is the relationships that I've made so good. propel all these things. So then Jeff, when I go to NBC Sports, that's all because of Jeff Banky, right? Mm-hmm. And and believes in me and, and has always believed in long-term vision success. So the Netflix stuff happens. When you have these big contracts, people have to let you out of this stuff. So mm-hmm. Jeff goes to to Sam Flood, who's in charge of NBC Sports and Elise Noonan, and they're like, yeah, we love this guy. Let him go do that, and then he'll come back. So I'm like hauling butt between both of these things. And so because Hyperdrive does well, someone there sees that and says, we should do another show with him. Here's the weirdest part. They give me money, and they say, who do you want to work with? And I said, I want to work with John Hessling. Because he was the guy that believed in me. So I'll take this this notion of building a new show with them to John. So John and I pitched this idea of American Barbecue Showdown. We just put a package together. They said, great. Well, then I don't hear anything about it. I'm working on replacing deck boards in April of 19. And my agent calls and says, hey, so there's a show Netflix is talking about doing. They want you to host called The Floor is Lava. And before he said anything else, I was like, yes, I'm in. Because A, I know it's going to be insane because I played Floor is Lava as a Uh kid. B, it's a game show. And I said, but here's the thing. I'm supposed to do that other show and I've not heard anything about it. And he's like, well, let's just worry about this. So he calls me and says, okay, here's what I'm working on. And I said, again, because I don't live in LA and I think we got to do these things like normal people. I said... Well, if NBC will let me go do this, and it was really tight because I was doing the Indy 500, there was a bunch of stuff. If they'll let me do this, tell them I'll do The Floor is Lava, but we have to package it with the other one, and they've got to go into production on the other one. And he's like, are you trying to bundle this? This isn't American Pickers. I was like, I hear you, but what do I have to lose? Like, this is still me. So yeah, go do it. And so he's like, man, this is not how TV works. I was like, well, what do we got to lose? Yeah. So he calls back half an hour later. He's like, all right, they went for it. So you leave like next week or whatever it was. We have no idea when we're shooting The Floor is Lava, A, that it's going to work, or B, that it will be the biggest thing I've ever done. Now, keep in mind, NBC sending me to the Olympics, the Kentucky Derby, all of the biggest stuff mm-hmm. NBC sends me to. And then the show comes out and does 38 million viewers in the first month. Because you got got families. You attracted kids. Everyone's home. I know. Kids. Uh And it's fun and fun spirited. Now, we did have to make some changes because as you saw, you kind of couldn't tell that everyone still lived after the first season because they just disappeared. That's what my son wanted to know. I said, I'm I'm talking to Rutledge um, tomorrow. What do you want to know? He's like, where do they go? go when they fall into the lava because it looks like they just disappear do you want me to tell you yeah tell us i don't know (laughs) my whole job paul and my whole job is to tell people don't fall in i don't know that's don't do it don't fall in what is the lava by the way like what is it it's lava it's magic lava otherwise we could like people like it's water i was like we'd have to call the show the floor is water no it's a magic lava i bought it uh on craigslist when it was still a thing stop it yeah it's pretty water it's water isn't it with maybe like a little slime it's in it. It's not. Okay. So the fun thing is all of these different things happen. And because of the success of those things, we yes. did three seasons of that. Then people like Mark Lazarus, who have always been in my corner at NBC and, and Elise, when they hear about opportunities, they throw my name out. So NBC starts doing this 
show with Hot Wheels. And I was in line to be a judge, right? They were going to get some gigantic names. And the whole time I feel like this is... This is like my calling because that quilt right there was on my bed when I was a kid. My parents uh, wait, are, that are you age. Are you in your bedroom right now, by the no, way? No, where are, no. No, okay. I'm just in like the I'm just like in the front room of the house where I okay, do Okay, so yeah, you have a quilt behind you. If people can't see if they're listening. Also, yeah. it looks like you're in like a Dr. Evil chair right now. Mm. It's got like yeah, but there's a there's With a also grandma quilt? there's a grandma quilt behind you and then there's a quilt on the bed behind you. I had so many questions. Thank you. There's for, a lot going there's on. There's a it's lot just going stuff. on. That quilt was on my bed when I was a kid, and those blocks, I would play with Hot Wheels on there, and that's how I would like kind of line everything up. My parents are at that age where they're giving me stuff that mm-hmm. uh, they found in their house. Like that's a there's also a portrait of me at about four years old wearing a frog jumper. <laughs> I don't know why I have that, but it's here. Yeah, so they they think that I might be a good judge oh, for this so show. Bad. And I, the whole time I'm like, I really think this is what I'm supposed to to host. Jenny Ramirez, uh, Meryl Hendrickson, and Corey Henderson were all like, this is our guy. This is who needs to do it. Let's just flip-flop what we we're going to do. So I end up going to host this show two days in. They're like, we also need you to be a judge. And I was like, I don't want to tell people that they fail. That yeah. like That's not my brand. And they're like, I hear you. And You're you like, know more I'm about the, cars than I'm anyone else. I'm the guy yeah i'm I'm just like yeah you did awesome way to go you know i got three daughters like all i do is hype but it turns out like to be this wonderful thing and a dream come true so i'm sorry there's so many different parts and connections i just don't i think everybody that believed in me deserves that love and and credit because i wouldn't be here without them I'm good on camera. I'm great off camera. You know, like I'm a better team member than I am at any single solitary thing. But I can't be a team member without really great team members to be a part of it. I think that's why from Fox and NBC, all the folks in Netflix, like I've been so lucky to be in really great teams. That's so good. And one thing you mentioned, the the trust that you built and how relational you are. But... You're such a good team player and you're so quick to, yes, you have all the confidence in the world and you're like, this is mine, but you're very quick to deflect and tell everybody that it was a slew of people along the way that helped get you to where you are today. Okay. So you mentioned girls, you are a girl dad, you have three daughters, teenagers, like what's it like being a girl dad and how old are they? Yeah, Uh, They are 15, about to be 13 in a couple weeks and nine and i can tell you there's like a light switch at 13 it's different nobody Uh, prepares you for that it's we're like the same well i have girl boy boy and they're 15 just turned 14 and nine so yeah uh yeah it's what's it like being a girl dad i mean you don't know any different i have both okay right if you were to describe somebody in a couple of words what it's like to be a girl dad how would you how would you describe it Mm. Uh, right now, this stage I would refer to as intense, uh, <laughs> but also I think it's wonderful. You know, I didn't, I didn't have an inkling of like, oh, I want to, I'm a real dude. I need to have boys. I just wanted them healthy. And yeah. for me, just been so fulfilling. Like e- even sometimes it's the big things and sometimes it's the little things. Like I am really affectionate. I'm a big hugger and I want to tell you how wonderful I think you are every day of the, the year. Um, and I think that makes me a really good girl dad, but also mm-hmm. like one day my youngest Hattie told me this boy was like messing with her and her friend at, at, on the playground. And I went to have lunch with her the next day and I saw him in the lunchroom and I was like, Hey buddy, you know who I am? And he was like, no, I was like, Hattie's dad. 
Heard you were uh, messing with her and Olivia. We're not going to do that anymore, are we? I think we're done with that. And this kid, like, steers clear of both of them today. Like, still, to, that was a year and a half ago. And I kind of laugh thinking, like, <laughs> you know what? We kind of need that stuff, too. Like, yes. we need, sometimes it's really helpful to be the boundary setter. But I also, like, I'm the fun one. And, you know, I have to sometimes be the tough guy, too. And I don't want to do that. But I also, like, I was clear at a younger age, like, look, I'll I'll walk y'all out of there. I got yeah. no issues. Yep. I, like, you won't you won't find me embarrassed that I need to be a parent. Yeah. So we should like mark that off, but it's different now. You have to find new ways to connect and try to get around it. And I saw something you probably did too. It was like, take the moments. Like if you, if you can get in their room to sit on their bed, mm-hmm. stay until they make you leave. Yep. Take them their favorite snacks and yes. meet them where they're at and don't try to solve their problems. The best question someone uh, gave me advice about, they said, ask this question of your teen and or your kid in general, if they're not a, if they're a tween, I say, how can I best support you right now? And they'll tell you literally everything you need to know. Um, right. You just said something. So my daughter, as much as sometimes it embarrasses her when my husband protects her, you know, um, she loves it. She'll she'll say, yeah. Dad, I love that that you don't let anybody mess with me and that you're protective of me. And I think you know, I I joke with my husband all the time. Like girls get their confidence from their fathers as as early as age two. So if she screwed up, it's on you. But it's so true. <laughs> they get their security and their their confidence, um, their awareness, all of it. Like so much of it from from their dad. So kudos to you for for. Loving on those girls. Okay, we're going to get into a couple of viewer questions. We're going to go through these real quick, like lightning-ish, okay? First one is from me, though. What do you drive? Ooh, uh, I have a bunch of cars. What's your favorite car to drive? My favorite is my Toyota Sienna hybrid minivan. Legitimately, (laughs) I I put cool wheels on it. Like, I have a handful of cars that are real, real fast, and that car is the most comfortable. It gets the best mileage. You can put the most people in it. I'm telling you, I can see it right now. It makes me smile. Please send I me have a photo. A lot. Please oh, send I will. Me- okay, I will. Okay. It's a rimmed up Toyota Sienna minivan. I told my husband yesterday, I was like, can we get another minivan? I just, I just yes. miss it. Okay, so I wore this shirt for you because I am a Jeep Wrangler girl. Oh, come on. Look at you. You're wrangling. Oh, I, I love it. I don't know anything about cars, but I got a Jeep Wrangler a couple of years ago. It was like part of my midlife crisis and I had it lifted. Yeah. So the, oh, I, that's awesome. I, Good I went, for you. I went to the dealer and I and he's like, how high do you want it lifted? I said, I want to pull a muscle getting in and out of it. That's how high I want it to be. So midlife crisis like, car. four inch, four inch lift kit for you. <laughs> okay. Okay. But please, I'm going to hold you to it. Everybody's going to want to see a picture of your Sienna oh, yeah. minivan. Absolutely. All right. I have three or four station wagons so just so we're clear like i it's a real problem like the kind where like i grew up with a station wagon and like no no seat belts in the very very back you know and it had a window that the could third go down row that looks backwards yeah you look backwards yeah and it had a window that could go up and down like a power control when yeah, you, you have- were in a cool car uh, yeah. I have I have a 96 Buick Roadmaster station wagon, which is the last of the great station wagons. <laughs> I have a 95 Mercedes-Benz E320. Both of those have the rear-facing ones. And then I have this crazy car from Japan that's right-hand drive. It does not have a third row in the back, but okay. it should. So these are legitimate viewer questions. Okay, great. The, the real estate Joe says, and we're going to go through this quick. Does he, oh, I love Joe. Does he really like plaid interiors in cars? Uh, yes. So this chair that you said is like my Dr. Evil chair. It's, uh, got the same plaid material that plaid I made. Cushion. Yeah. This, this chair matches a Porsche 911 that I built 
and then sold because the car scared me to Amazing. death. So I love plaid. Okay. Yes. Ski man three five seven. Hey, and by the way, people, if you want to ask him a question, could you give me your real name so I don't have to oh, re- read these weird really So ski man three five seven says, uh, from Top Gear, what was your favorite car to drive? Well, I can tell you, driving a Lamborghini Murcielago Super Veloce to oh. the McDonald's drive-through okay. in the middle of nowhere, like near like Joshua Tree. And I tried to get a coffee through the window and you couldn't. So then I had to open up the scissor door to get the coffee. No. It felt like I was from the future. Every single human being (laughs) in that McDonald's came outside to see the car. And I was like, what is happening? Amazing. That one's one's one of my favorites. Uh, Yes or no, Juan Jackson wants to know, would you ever do a Top Gear reunion show if you had the chance? Yes, absolutely. Okay. We've been we've been working on that. We really uh, should. But you know what the hardest part about life is, Paula? Sometimes time. people have a hard time apologizing when they were wrong. And I think sometimes on the corporate side, mm. it's really it's really difficult for people to do that. Are you saying there's egos involved at that level? I uh, know. And pride level, and pride. Right? Okay. It's tough to put it away. John Hardesty wants to know what's one project you are most interested in doing that you just haven't had the chance yet. And I really want to take my family uh, across the country. I'd love to do it for like an entire year Ooh. where we hit like 101 roadside places that you must see. Like, did you know there are two world's largest balls of twine in the u.s and they are competing because one has a cover like a lean-to shed roof on it the other is exposed and those are both places that people dedicated their lives to build this thing so you would come to this town if you and i want to go there if you build the yarn people will come yeah. Okay. There's a there's a place in Idaho that looks like a dog, and it's like an A-frame <laughs> that looks like a dog, and you see it when you're going down the highway. Like, I just want to go and ask people why. Like, tell me about the, how did this happen? Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, and last question. This is a fastball question. Okay, Lou, Louis G wants to know how are you so cool, Rutledge? Oh, that's sweet. I don't think that I am cool. I think the world caught up with nerds in a really great way. I remember a lot of times when I was a kid. <laughs> My mom saying, it's okay, you're you're exactly who you are, and just be proud and be confident in that. And I think in a lot of ways, the world caught up. Like, at some point, I was never a Star Wars kid, but you remember, like, Star Wars people used to be way over here. Yes. And then they're in the majority. And if you look at, like, Harry Potter and all these things, turns out that one great thing that's happened in our development as people is I do think we became more accepting of what used to be niche and weird and i think that's really helped but the greatest thing for me is every single day i wake up i know exactly who i am and i know who to be so i don't ever have to wonder and as you know i think you're in that same way it can help us in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. it can also like there are career opportunities i've probably missed because i'm not good at pretending to be someone else and so that's one of those things it's like you gotta take the good and the bad at the end of the day the other thing i've thought the entire time i've been in this career and i've been so fortunate that all these people believed in me this ride could have been over at any moment it could be over now and we have no idea and tomorrow that means i'm just going to find a different job because i need money to support my family but it won't change who i am just because this is what i've done that's not who i am this is who i am so Mm -hmm. i think always remembering you know your why and what we're doing it 
boy, I tell you what, it helps a huge amount. I'm still like, even when I was at Hertz and I didn't like that job, I was still winning sales awards, despite that. I was like, I am starting yeah. to not like people. I don't think I should do this anymore. My work ethic is still the same. So even if you see me, you know, picking up trash or being a professional uh, pressure washer, I'm going to have a great day. Yeah, you will. We'll keep spreading that joy. Rutledge, it has been an absolute pleasure to be in conversation and talk about it with you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. What a treat. I'm sorry I went on way long. That's <laughs> my okay. fault, y'all. It's okay. We both love to talk. I told you guys, he was so much fun. It was going to be impossible for you not to smile during that conversation. And by the way, it is not lost on me that two of our last three guests credit Craigslist for their big break. Rutledge Wood and then Jenna Kutcher a couple weeks ago says it all started for her by buying a $300 camera off of Craigslist. Pretty funny, right? Hey, are you getting my personal newsletter? It goes out every two weeks. It's free. It is insider content, fun giveaways, and content to help you live your best life as we walk alongside of one another in this thing we call life. But encouragement for you, you can sign up at paulaferrisofficial.com. Again, that's paulaferrisofficial.com and it goes out every two weeks. All right, friends, as we close out 2023. The final episode coming up in a couple of weeks, the end of December, is going to be a conversation between my husband, John, and I. But what do you want to hear? You are going to steer this conversation. Yes, John and I are going to talk about our highs, lows, and some really funny moments from 2023. But we want to know what you're in the thick of. We're going to talk about that. We want to know what questions you have for us and what questions you have about life in general we are going to be talking about it. Just reach out to me on Instagram at Paula Ferris. Shoot us your ideas, your questions. Uh, tell us what you're in the thick of. And we can't wait to talk about it. All right, friends. Thank you for joining me in this episode. And as usual, I'll see you next week as we talk about it. Oh, one more thing. Is this still on? Yeah, it is. If you're watching on YouTube right now, hit that subscription button or wherever you're listening, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss a beat and invite your friends. Let's spread the word and let's talk about it.